Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. So we are in the book of John, John chapter 14. It's good to see everyone that's here. I'm sure more people will be trickling in in a moment. Um, I got poked in the eye on Wednesday, so half of you look blurry right now. So if you raise your hand, maybe wave it more, and I'll call on you for your question. I'm sure it'll heal back up. Two doctor visits later, I'm feeling a lot better, but getting a fingernail across your eyeball is not pleasant. I will tell you that much. And um, it was probably, I mean, I've had a kidney stone. I've broken bones. That was like the most excruciatingly painful thing I've ever had. You could not get away from it. It felt like there's a needle stuck in my eye. And my kids are making fun of me because they said I looked like a whiner and I was in a bad mood the whole time. But just in case you know, though, I still beat the guy. So that, I did tell the doctor that, too. He wasn't as impressed as I was. But anyway. John chapter 14, remember we are looking at this magnificent gospel uh, where it's designed to help us to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, to believe in him, and to believing we may have life in his name, John 20, 30, and 31. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all biographies of Jesus. They tell the story of Jesus' life, and they help us understand who he is, how he lived, how he taught, and of course the death, burial, and resurrection. Well, in John chapter 14, we're toward the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Now you're like, well, it's the middle of the book. How can this be the end? Well, John, the last part of the book, second half, deals with actually a pretty short period of time compared to the first half of the book. Jesus has now predicted his death. He's told his disciples that he's going to go to the cross, basically. He told them he's going to die and that where he's going, they cannot go. But however, well, they can find that location where he's at by following him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the wrong slide. That's okay. We don't need those slides anyway. But um, that's my sermon. I will remind you that we do have small groups tonight, and it wasn't at my house, but we're going to be at the Robinson house instead. But John chapter 14, starting in verse 7, we're going to pick up here. So we just finished off the section where Jesus said, you know, in my father's house are many dwelling places, that famous passage there. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you yet you do not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? We'll pick up in the second half there in a second. So Philip's question is what? What is Philip asking of Jesus here? Okay, wants to see um, something physical, like the physical Father. Um, what else, kind of? What's the angle you think he's doing here? I was listening to a podcast this morning, and um, it was a lady, um, the title of the podcast was From Ivy League Atheist to Christian Apologist, or something like that, and this, this lady was talking about how her transition from being very much a uh, militant kind of atheist in, in Ivy League school to believing in Jesus, and she talked about how one of the things that she struggled with early on in trying to make sense of Christianity was... Well, you got God, why do you need Jesus? Or you got Jesus, why do you need God? Kind of that idea. And she's like, because, I mean, 
we throw that kind of stuff out there all the time. Like, you got Jesus, you got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Holy Spirit. And people are like, and if you're not in that world, that can be kind of confusing, of course. But this idea she had was, why do you need both of them? And Philip here kind of asks us kind of a similar vein of a question. This idea that I want to see the Father. So Jesus, you're doing all of this. You're saying you have a relationship with the Father. Can we see him too? Because that, that's a fair question. Okay, you got Jesus who claims to be the Son of God. I'm assuming they would want to see then God, the Father. So what's Jesus' answer here? Look at this last part of verse 10, then we'll discuss it. He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Yes, Yvonne. The more you know Jesus, the more you know about Jesus, the more you see Jesus, experience Jesus, the more you're experiencing the Father. Jesus came, as Yvonne brings up, to be that manifestation on earth of that eternal God. He came, so everything you need to know about God the Father, you can know through Jesus Christ. We know his character, we know his way of thinking, we know his words, we know everything through Jesus. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we better understand the character of the Father. Philip here is kind of confused a little bit. He's like, well, I want to see the Father. And Jesus is saying, you're seeing enough. When you see me, you can tell what the Father is like. I mean, you can tell a lot about a person by their kids. And I know obviously it's different with Jesus and, and, and the Father, but even that sense, you can tell a lot about someone's upbringing when you see their children and all that. You can go, okay, I kind of bet their father is like this. Magnify that or multiply that by a thousand here, and that's what we got with Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see the Father, because whose works does Jesus do? The Father's works. There is no differentiation between the will of Jesus and the will of the Father. It's one in the same. They're 100% in tune with one another. Yeah, Don. Maybe. I mean, I could see that. Like, well, yeah, but Jesus, you're also a normal guy, and how... how, how we have a hard time with that. I could see that being troubling. Or um, maybe they go on the flip side, and I'm not arguing anything. Maybe God is more normal than we like to make him out to be, too. More, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but, you know, God is personal uh, in that regard. But, yeah, I could see that. Okay, they, they see, they're going to see Jesus bleeding, and, like, what, God doesn't bleed? You know, that kind of idea. That could definitely be an issue there. But, and, I mean, so I'm not faulting them in the question. But what Jesus wants them to understand is that I and the Father are one. There is no separation from that. That is also really important in the first century in Palestine because what is the primary religious group? The Jews, right? The Judaism. They would follow, they would say, the Father. Jesus needs to establish that you cannot Follow the Father unless you're following me. Because this transition here is coming through Jesus. And if you don't follow him, if you reject him, you are rejecting God. If you reject my kids, you're rejecting me. You reject the Son, you're rejecting 
the Father. Jesus wants you to know that the works that he is doing are from the Father and they're not in uh, of himself coming from him. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And now Jesus makes this transition. So he goes, you see me doing works, but the works I do are works from the Father. And one day, you're going to do works too. But the works you're going to do are going to be even greater than these. I'm going to go to the Father. So I'm going to go away. You're going to be left. And you're going to do some amazing works. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus, from this question, turns into this statement of telling the disciples, you are going to be out there and do some amazing things. Now, Don brought up, you know, the idea of Jesus being a, they saw his humanity. Let's think about the humanity of the disciples for a second here, too. These are normal guys. Their world has been turned upside down. They've seen miracles. They've seen signs. All these amazing things have happened. And now Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go away, and you are going to be doing amazing works. They're probably confused by this. They're probably troubled by this. They're probably going, well, how are we going to do that? I mean, Jesus, you had these magical powers and all that. What are we going to do? Jesus, you always know the right thing to say. We don't. Jesus, you always know all the scripture. We don't know it. Jesus tells them, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when the apostles go out there doing the works of Jesus, the Father is being glorified too. There's a transference. Father, Son, apostles, all the same magnificent works are coming from the same place. So even now when we read about the works of the apostles, whose works are they? God's. They're God's works. They're not their own. When we see Jesus' works, they're the works of the Father. They're all one in the same. But he's going to be talking a lot here about um, this promise that's coming with the Holy Spirit here in a second, but talking about the empowerment that they're going to have. But you got to imagine here, the apostles... Let's just back up the last two chapters. What has Jesus told them that was going to happen? He's going to die. He's going to be betrayed. And where I'm going, you cannot go. And you're going to do a bunch of amazing things. They had to be scared out of their mind. Right? I mean, when Jesus is along with them, that, that's one thing. You got Jesus on your team. He can do these amazing works, but you're telling us you're going to leave us alone? And now we're going to have to do all these different works somehow how in the world is that going to happen jesus goes if you ask anything in my name i will do it trust me i will still be there for you is this idea yes yeah no even paul would say we're adopted as sons and that kind of idea we have the privilege of being able to call god father and and all of that other thoughts on this section here yeah well, and then what about the fact that he says, whatever you ask in my name? What do you mean, Jesus? Like, even that, because, okay, we look at this and we go, oh, he's talking about praying. But they might not even get that, okay? And the idea of in my name, ask something, it's by his authority in that regard. But they hadn't been praying to Jesus yet. 
okay? He's been there with them. So when they asked him to do something, he was there and was able to do that. But now Jesus is going to go away. And they're going to be asking in the name of Jesus for Jesus to help them, and Jesus isn't going to be there. So we've never had to experience that, that transition from God in the flesh on the earth to God in the heavens, and then have to still communicate with him. That, that's, I mean, we, we need to look at that from the humanity side, the, the disciples, and it makes sense that he would tell them, let not your heart be troubled in chapter 14, verse 1. They're probably confused, they're probably stressed, they're probably worried, and he's trying to temper them a little bit here and say, look guys, you're going to do some amazing things. You have no clue what you're going to do. You're going to go out there into all the world to preach the gospel to all the nations. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to do all these different things. Then he goes, but understand that if you ask anything in my name, you'll be able to do it. Because I guarantee it, every single one of those disciples are going, I can't do that. What are you talking about? I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a tax collector. I don't know how to do these things that you do, Jesus. And he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's giving them that hope here. Other thoughts? Oh, he did that later on with Paul, yeah. Um, I was thinking about that passage. I don't want to get into that, but I was this last week where Paul talks about being in the spirit and caught up in the third heaven. Really cool passage we're not going to talk about this morning. Um, I, but it has nothing to do with John, but it's a good passage. Um, this, this is powerful here, though, and it's a message of hope, and it's also you can sense the apprehension of the disciples. I'll throw this out here, by the way. This section here of uh, John 14, 13 and 14, I know I've heard it quoted. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. I, I think he's telling his disciples, you're going to ask in my name, you're going to get to do this. You know, the idea of praying in Jesus' name, it just means by his authority. I know we've turned it into a weird repetition where if someone closes their prayer with amen and doesn't say in Jesus' name, like, oh, is that okay? Are we still going to heaven? You know, there's nothing like that in the Bible. You know what? You don't even have to say amen at the end of a prayer. I recommend you say something so we know when to lift up our heads. But, I mean... It's funny how we get into habits. Yeah, Jim. Yes. And he's going to talk about that here in the next verse. That's a good point because it's not that Jesus is just a really good guy and had amazing ability. Jesus, throughout his ministry, as Jim's talking about, always points everything back to the Father. Right? So Jesus, even when he does good works, let's say Jesus heals the sick. The Father through him, his will is through the Father. That's how he's doing this. And what Jesus wants, as Jim brings up, his disciples to understand is in the same way that there's that transference through Jesus, there'll be that transference through you in some sense. And it all goes back to God that's giving that ability. Jesus never does anything on his own initiative, right? We have passages to talk about. His will is always in alignment with the Father's will. If our will is not in alignment with the Father's will, don't expect the Father to do works through us. That's kind of the way I think we should see it. But he tells them here, if you ask anything in my name, you will do it. And he's going to tell them more about how that's going to unfold here in a second. He just kind of gives them the attention getter. You're going to do things if you ask in my name. He's like, what are you talking about? And then he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me like you say you do, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to follow my will because I follow the Father's will. That's what this is all about. Our wills are completely in alignment. Obedience. 
you know, conformity, whatever you want to call it, the Father, the Son, the Apostles, and us all need to be on the same page. Why? Because we love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we're going to love the things he loves. We're going to teach the things he teaches. We're going to do the things he does, you know, all of that. Questions or comments up through verse 15. Then we'll change the topic here just in a second. Who's he reminding to love him and to keep his commandments here? Well, it is. Obviously, we all need to do it. I'm not excluding it. I just think it's interesting. He's telling this here specifically to his apostles. He's reminding them because he's going to go away, and they're going to have persecution. They're going to have be arrested. I mean, we're studying the book of Acts right now. Look at what they went through. And they're going to want to stray. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, uh, yeah, he is. He's going to give them special empowerment and that kind of stuff here in a second that we're looking at. Yes. Today, the only way you can follow the Father is through Jesus. You know, we've come up, throughout the centuries, we've come up with all sorts of weird ideas. I like the simple path through Jesus, but yeah. Don, you had a hand up too? Yeah, no, and that's why we as parents do that with our kids, much to their dismay probably sometimes, but also too, it probably does provide a, a standard, because maybe if you are confused, uh, I sent Xander to the store the other day to get me ice cream, okay, because I like ice cream, and Xander knows how to get ice cream, so I gave him really specific instructions, and because he was nervous, he's going to go to Winco and buy himself, and I was going to give him the debit card, not cash now, okay, so I was like, okay, here's the ice cream I want, I said, First things first, check and see if there's Tillamook, Rocky Road, okay? I said, look there, make sure there. Now, if there is no Tillamook, Rocky Road, don't buy any other Tillamook stuff, only Rocky Road. If there is no Tillamook, Rocky Road, I want you to go to the next rack over. I think it's Dryers, and then you can get that one of Rocky Road. Only get Rocky Road. Do not come home with cookies and cream. Do not, I laid it out there, right? I said, I also want to diet Shasta, you know, laying out the guidelines there, trying to... Make sure he knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going. And then there's also the fear in it. Now, make sure you run fast on the way home and don't talk to strangers. Don't get hit by a car. You know, that kind of stuff like that. You lay it out there. Owen went to a pumpkin patch last night with friends. and said, make sure you represent your Lord, your family, and yourself well. I mean, I lay out instructions, that kind of thing. Jesus is doing that here. Follow the Father. You love me, right? Yes, you do. Keep my commandments. And don't worry, I'm going to help you. Verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Because the disciples are freaking out, and now they're like, oh, you're sending us out there, what are we going to do? Because I think even when he talks about the greater works that they're going to do here, it's not even so much miracles. I think it has to do more with preaching of the gospel. The works that they are going to do is bringing the message to Jew and Gentile to unite the world under Jesus Christ. That is a greater work than any miracle you know, you might say, and I don't even like using the word miracle because everything God's doing is miraculous, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you 
and will be in you. They're afraid. We're going to go out there, Jesus. What are we going to do? Jesus goes, I told you, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you, and here's how. Here's how. The Father, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you someone else. Here it's called a helper, um, that he may be with you forever. Verse 17, he clarifies. It is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth, though, the world cannot receive. People who are not following Jesus Christ, who do not abide in him, cannot receive this. And that's what he's telling them here. He goes, they're not going to get it because they don't know me, they don't know him, but you know him because he abides with you. Abide is the key word of the Gospel of John, by the way, and the epistle of John, and is with you and will be in you. And I love the term that's used there. I think it's parakletos or paraclete, helper, comforter, beside, that kind of idea. He says, the Father is going to give you someone else. When my kids are little and I send them to Winco to buy me ice cream, I usually go, all right, you're going to also take your sister with you because Claire's older, Claire's responsible, Claire can help, you know what I mean? Claire can maybe problem solve when you don't know exactly what to do. If the machine eats the debit card, you know, she won't just run home, okay? That kind of thing. She'll be able to handle the situation. The apostles are here going, oh, I don't know how to work the machine. He goes, don't worry, I'm sending you the helper. He'll be able to problem solve for you. He'll be able to help you during these challenges because you will have him in you. And I love verse 18. Someone read verse 18 for us. Okay, anybody got a different word in verse 18 besides comfortless? I will not leave you, leave you as orphans. Okay, now, Don brought up the parenting analogy, and I ran with it a bunch because I got a bunch of kids. Not as much as Don, though. But um, my kids, every child, maybe your kids have asked this too, what would happen, mom or dad, if you guys die? Have your kids ever asked you that? I mean, and I informed that your father will never die. He's tougher than everything. But, um, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, you know, what, what will happen to us? That kind of idea. And by the way, responsible parents have a plan for that if you don't fix that. Um, but here, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. That's the big fear. I remember being a kid and thinking you lost your mom or dad in a store for a, a brief moment. I remember having that happen to me like, this is Movie back shows how old I am now, got chocks, okay? That's where we shopped for clothes, not a real store anymore. But we'd go there, and I remember, like, I'd run around, and because that's what I do, I'm Cliff, and hide in the clothes rack, and then peeking out of the clothes racks, and all of a sudden, mom's gone. And your heart drops. Oh, no, I'm alone. I'm going to have to survive in the Manchester Center Mall for the rest of my life. You know, that kind of thing. Again, shows how old I am. No one goes to Manchester either. Um, but that kind of idea, and you're afraid. The disciples here are afraid. Like, what? You're leaving? He goes, I'm not going to leave you alone, comfortless, like, a, like an orphan child without a family. I'm going to give you this helper. So even when I leave, you have this comforter, this helper, puts his arms around you and helps you do my will. Now, he's going to talk about specifically what some of the things the Holy Spirit's going to do for them here in a second. But let's just think about just that idea of I'm going to give you this helper. That would be a huge comfort to know that it is taken care of. Um, with my kids, I let them know, hey, well, we have a plan. If we ever died, this is what would happen. You know, um, I 
Buy life insurance so that if I die, Zinni's taken care of. Too. Don't worry, honey. If I die, you'll have a million dollars. You know, that kind of thing. And you can do whatever you want then. You know, that kind of stuff. You, you, you know, let people know they're taken care of, and it makes you feel better. Yes, Karen. Yeah. No, and I think that's what he's saying here. The world cannot receive this. Now, I know specifically here, immediate context, we're talking about like these apostles, but general truth, there's certain things the world cannot receive. It will not make sense to them. Like, how do you describe the hope we have in Jesus to someone without hope? You got to experience that. What is it? How do you explain the comfort that comes from having the love of Christ? I, I can't articulate that. The world doesn't know that, but we, we do. We have something special in that regard. Um, as you go even into the epistles, like Paul will talk about like being sealed with the Spirit. and that kind of, how, I don't know how to explain that. It's kind of you said, you know, but the idea of we have something the world does not have. Yes. That the world could not receive it. I, I could see the argument someone would make. If you didn't hear Mike's point, he was saying that... Um, in, in, in the book of Acts, you have Cornelius who has the Holy Spirit come upon him prior to his conversion. And Mike said that um, some might argue that, well, see, that's proof that someone outside of Christ can receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and he was talking about the idea that the reception is, you know, a little bit different with that terminology. I'd also argue, too, that the Cornelius example is a different type of reception of the Spirit here, too. Um, you, I, I think Cornelius' situation is more in alignment to... Acts chapter 2, uh, when, it, you know, the Spirit comes upon them, you know, like a mighty wind and, and even um, the baptism of Jesus, more of a, a symbolic sign that says, I approve of this guy versus here, which is more of a, an active receiving. Cornelius didn't reach out to get that re reception of the Spirit there, but I, that's an interesting um, argument. I haven't heard someone argue that before. Other thoughts on this section here before we move on? Because I want it's going to build. So if you have questions about, well, what's the Holy Spirit going to do for them? He's going to answer that. So don't jump ahead with it. But think about from the mental standpoint of an apostle who's got a huge task in front of them. I mean, have you ever gone into something and you didn't exactly know what you were doing and you're afraid, right? I mean, like, I don't exactly know. And someone goes, you got this. It's okay. And no, I don't got it. No, you do because... This person is also going to be there with you, helping you so you can figure this out. You're not going to be like an orphan. Verse 19, after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has kept my, he, sorry, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. This is the relationship we have in Jesus Christ even now. I know specifically he's talking to his apostles here, but this is a, a truth that transcends that. The world, once Jesus left and ascended into heaven, they don't see him anymore. But I see Jesus every day. I do. I see him. Now, I don't know what that is. I'm not saying, oh, I see him running from me. No, but you understand what I'm saying? I have a relationship with Jesus. I see him. Here he says, you will see me too. And you'll know that I'm in the Father and you in me. How? Well, you keep my commandments. See, if you keep my commandments, 
that shows that you love me. And in that love for me, you're loved by my Father. And when you love my Father, it is disclosed to you. And you have this whole circle, this interweaving of following the Father, following Jesus, keeping his commands. Jesus loves us. We love him. And it's all intertwined together that we would maybe call being a Christian or relationship with Jesus, save, no matter how you want to do it. Um, look at it. It's different for us. We abide in Jesus. The world doesn't. The world says, well, he died. That's it. Or, you know, he left. He's gone. We are different. We have a living relationship with him right now. The apostles were going to have a very obvious, you know, way of doing that, um, that as we move on into the text. But even us, we have this interwoven relationship with Jesus that transcends this life. When we worship God, we are communicating with God. When we pray to him, we are literally talking to him. And that's an overwhelming feeling, at least it should be, because we are connected with him. He's in us, we're in him, we follow his will, he follows the Father. It's all interconnected. And I, I know I, I can't even explain that with my human words, how that all works, but that's the magnificence of this relationship with Jesus. We have something the world does not have. Yes, Karen. Yeah. And you know, this obedience idea, I'm going to be starting a new sermon series next week on the Sermon on the Mount. And so much of that is about fruit bearing, you know, and obedience. The Christian life is an obedient life. And that obedience, though, comes from a relationship with him. And, and he's in me and I'm in him. Why wouldn't I do his works? Because his works are my works, and his works are the Father's works. So the Father is working through me. Why would I do anything different than that is kind of the idea. But yeah, that, that idea of, oh, love me, keep my commandments, beginning to end is in Scripture. Other thoughts? How do you describe the relationship with Jesus Christ? I think here is this section right here describes what it is all about. This knowing God, abiding in him, keeping his commandments. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have that name, right? You have to have be clarified for the rest of your life. Judas, not the bad one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like no one names their kid Hitler. I mean, that kind of thing. But here, poor guy. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, which, by the way, Jesus has had a brother named Judas, the book of Jude, but um, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. He's confused. He's like, what do you mean? What is happening or what has happened that you're going to let us see, but the world isn't going to see? How does, how, how does that work? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Judas here is asking, he, he's look, looking for something tangible. Like, okay, what are you going to show us that you're not going to show the world? And then Jesus kind of answers in a more abstract way. You will see it because you will have an abode, you will live with God, and the world won't. So someone asks, well, how do you see God? I see him every day. How? Is he right there in front of you? 
No, but I see him through following his will. It's the abstract way of looking at it. And that's what Jesus is answering here. Judas, good Judas, not bad Judas, is looking for, you know, something. Well, what are you going to do? Tell me exactly what we're supposed to be looking for. And he says, no, you will see it because you will come to him. And you will make your abode, your life, your home with him. But people who do not love me, people in the world, they don't keep my words. They will never know what it's like to follow me. I mean, you ask somebody, um, what is it like to live the Christian life? Just try it. Try living a life of complete service to other people and just see how you feel. you got to experience that to actually know what that is like. Here, Jesus says, you will experience that and you will know the Father, but the world will not. Any questions or comments? He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay. Um, first off, he's, his words and the Father's words are the same. And I think he's repeating it in a different way here. So people who do not love Jesus don't do what he says. Simple, simple truth. If you don't love Jesus, you're not going to do what he says. And, but the word that you're obeying, when you obey it, don't even think of it as my word, but think of it as my dad's words, father's words. So... People who don't love Jesus don't follow Jesus' words, but technically, they're really not even following the Father's words, is what he kind of wants them to see. At least that's how I see it here. Does that answer your question a bit? Okay. It, it's kind of a multi-layered kind of breakdown way of doing it. Um, there's a, a way that the Bible's written a lot, too, especially in the Old Testament. It's called Hebrew parallelism, where um, the Psalms and Proverbs are big into this, especially the Proverbs. It'll say one thing one way and then flip it backwards and say it again a different way but meaning the same thing. I, I can't think of something off the top of my head, but like it'll be like, um, happy is he who follows the will of God, but um, sad is he who does not, for he does not fulfill his will. You know, it kind of repeats it in a backwards kind of way. Jesus sometimes talks like that too. It's, and we are very linear and point by point in the way we like to argue things. It's like this plus this plus this equals that. You know what I mean? Uh, we have our little syllogisms and all those kinds of things. Like uh, all dogs are hairy. My sister has hair. Therefore, my sister is a dog. You know, that kind of thing. That's a false syllogism, by the way. It doesn't make sense. But, you know what I'm saying? We like that kind of thinking. Uh, but the way the first century mind sometimes would argue things I don't want to say circular because circular arguments are bad, but it was, it's like a bloom, okay? And you're peeling back onion layers and interconnects and weaves together is how they would often, you know, present a fact. Um, and I think maybe, too, a lot of it has to do with being in a society where not, you're not going to have access to this in writing, so you've got to say it backwards and frontwards to make sure people are going to remember it um, because you can't just have your bullet point list, you know, that you're going to follow. You have to look at it a different way. Other questions or thoughts? Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Jesus lives there with them right now, okay? I have told you these things while I'm here. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as in the world gives you, um, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, do not be fearful. Verse 26 is what the apostles were looking for. He says, you're going to go out there, and he's setting them up. You're going to go out there and do amazing things, but the amazing things you're going to do have to do with your words you're going to speak is basically what they're going to do. I mean, they're going to go out there and preach to, from Judea, Samaria to the othermost parts of the world, the book of Acts talks about. They're going to have to stand before kings. I mean, what, we're at the end of Acts. Paul is before a governor, a king, a, I mean, all these different things. And he always has to know what to say. That's the biggest fear. My, my prayer that I pray probably, I'd say third. I pray for my kids and my wife, that kind of stuff. Then after that is I pray for wisdom. I want to know the right thing to say. This morning as I was praying, I was thinking about, don't let me blow it. Say the right thing, that kind of thing. And that's what he told the disciples here. You will have the helper, which I want to also point this out. The disciples already had the spirit working through them. Remember, he sent them out in limited commissions, doing different things and all of that. But there is a special supernatural empowerment that they are going to receive. And they haven't got that yet, but they're going to. And when they get that, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. (laughs) That would be a huge comfort because we only have a little smidgen of the things that Jesus did written down for us. In fact, John ends this book, many other signs that Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, right? He did a whole bunch of other things. I imagine every day Jesus is talking and is teaching and the disciples are trying to take it all in. Half the time they don't understand what he's talking about. And now he tells them, don't worry. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then he says, peace I leave with you. That would be a huge message of peace because Acts chapter two is gonna come along. It's gonna be the day of Pentecost. There's gonna be millions of people gathered together there and they're all looking at Peter and Peter's gonna need to know what to say. And he did. Later on, he's gonna be standing before courts and rulers the apostle Paul is going to and he's gonna need to know what to say. Jesus always knew what to say, didn't he? Jesus always knew how to shut people down and and how to end a situation in a good way and and to work it over here so no one got killed, all that. Jesus always knew exactly what to say. And I imagine everywhere the disciples went, they're like, man, he's dialed in. I want to be like him. And he tells them, you can too. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be fearful. Isn't that our biggest fear a lot of times is not knowing what to say at the right time? He tells his apostles here they would be able to do that. We'll close with a prayer right now. We'll be dismissed for about 15 minutes. We'll come back in here for worship, and we'll, um, you know, begin that time together. But let's close with a prayer. A wonderful God, our Father in heaven, in whom we live, move, and have our being, as we do your will, Christ's will, we know that it is, is one and the same, and we pray that through looking to Jesus, we will see you and that you will be in us, and that we will live a life for you. Bless us this morning. Strengthen us. It's through our Lord we pray. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Appreciate your participation this morning.
Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.